I'm Marianne Kolbesek McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Bill Arts, who is Managing Director of the Center for Medical Device Cybersecurity at the University of Minnesota. He'll be talking to us about the center and some of the latest trends in medical device cybersecurity. So Bill, tell us a little bit about your role at the University of Minnesota's new Medical Device Cybersecurity Center and what kinds of work is the center doing? I'm really excited about it. Let me say that first of all. There's so much in the future that we're excited about. Uh, I'm the managing director. We sit within the computer science and engineering department at the University of Minnesota. And we're kind of a freestanding membership-based program that looks to leverage all the, the resources of the University of Minnesota by and uh, through membership by healthcare providers and device manufacturers and other partners as well to help drive and improve uh, safety and security for medical devices and healthcare in general. So what we, uh, our mission, I won't read it to you because it's long and full of words, but basically it's to be a hub, a hub of activity around this topic of healthcare security. So that means a number of things. One is education. So we have a number of novel education programs that we've already offered, and we're in the process of delivering next spring a a fully credited uh, university-level course on med device cybersecurity, which might be a first. We also have other education opportunities. We're also here to serve our members by providing them resources and opportunities to meet together and share ideas. We're developing programs like a center of excellence program to help smaller organizations, both healthcare providers and manufacturers. Uh, We're going to have some events with uh, experts for people to get exposed to and spend time with, large conference format, as well as small event format as well. And then we're here to be a service to our members and to the community. How can we engage? How can we get people the help they need? And so we have a number, also a number of partnerships with Sandia National Labs, for example, which is a really an exciting opportunity for us. They have great expertise around this topic. And with uh, the other healthcare security organizations around the country and around the world, we're looking to partner with them as well. So again, I'm going to emphasize that word a hub, a hub of activity around this topic for our members. So Bill, with that said, what are some of the top medical device cybersecurity trends you and the center are watching and why? Well, the first one is education. And by that, I mean, not only just traditional education for folks that might be working in this industry, but one of the things that everyone is, that I know in this industry is screaming for is, can we get people coming out of a college, for example, a four-year degree student with some kind of background on this topic? And so that's a, a heavy demand that I hear everywhere is that we need to start building university programs around this topic. And in fact, like I mentioned earlier, we're doing, we're doing that by creating a class that we're launching this spring, and then we'll have a series of probably two other courses around that in the near future. So that's one trend. Second trend, I'd say it's still a lot of focus on legacy devices, how to manage legacy devices and, and how to, particularly for healthcare providers, but how to manage them and reduce the risk on them because they're you know old devices that weren't necessarily designed with security in mind. And particularly healthcare providers, hospitals hold on to capital equipment devices for a long time because they cost so much. So that's an issue. The next one, which I think is really probably the biggest trend, is this move toward what I'd say operational technology security. So when you talk to healthcare providers in particular, you know, they're no longer just talking about the device. They're really talking about the entire stream of things that 
that provides safety and security in the environment for a patient. So now we're talking about not only device, but it's connectivity. How does it connect to the network? How is the network connected to power? How is power connected to HVAC in the, in the facility? And all the other things downstream that provide the experience for the patient at a particular facility or in a particular healthcare environment. And so that expands the role and the topic of, of uh, security to include all of healthcare and healthcare systems, I think is probably a good way to describe it. And like I said, we're certainly fine hearing that from the healthcare providers. And I think the manufacturers clearly are understanding that they need to go beyond just providing that individual device that's secure, but that can help facilitate this larger healthcare system concept. So Bill, you mentioned legacy devices and before joining the university, you spent many years as a security leader at a major medical device manufacturer. What concerns you the most these days when it does come to outdated and or unpatched legacy medical devices in terms of the cyber threats that they do pose to healthcare organizations? What sorts of potential cyber incidents involving legacy medical devices are you most worried about and why? Well, the easiest one and the one that's probably hottest in healthcare right now, particularly around uh, healthcare and device security is ransomware. It still is probably the biggest concern across healthcare right now because ransomware is highly effective at collecting money from healthcare providers who uh, are taken over by a piece of ransomware where it, it shuts down all of their technology, including their healthcare technology. And it's highly profitable for the most part, healthcare, most healthcare providers that are hit by ransomware don't have the ability to recover very quickly because of the complexity of their networks and the age of their technology. And so unfortunately, frequently, they need to simply give in and, and pay the fee, which just makes it uh, continue on. Uh, healthcare is particularly vulnerable because ransomware people, people that are using ransomware as a, as a tool to get money uh, improperly, use healthcare because they, they depend on impacting high impact technology. So for example, you may recall a number of months ago, there was an attack on the natural gas system for the East Coast that ransomware took over. They know that that's critical infrastructure, just like healthcare is. And so they know that, that they're going to get a response. Now back to the question about where does um, legacy devices, well, legacy devices clearly are the most vulnerable devices that are out there. And certainly that includes ransomware as well, where either they haven't been brought up to speed or can't be brought up to speed in terms of having the kind of uh, technology built around them or built into them that will protect them from things like ransomware. So Bill, you also mentioned up a, a big focus is OT in healthcare, operational technology, that which is connected to the internet. What's most worrisome to you about that in healthcare and what sorts of OT in particular are you most concerned about? Well, first of all, it's important to understand that point of view, OT. Um, most devices, if you start from the devices, which is where this entire topic started 10 or 15 years ago, but really there isn't a device anymore that doesn't have connectivity and most connect ultimately to send data and or commands, if that's the right way to do it, operational things that the device should be doing through the internet and into the cloud. And so really it's a marriage of medical technology and IT technology. And then you, if you expand IT technology, it includes, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, HVAC systems and power systems and those types of things. 
So it's hard to think of a device that isn't involved in that and uh, part of that larger system in terms of providing safe and effective healthcare for someone. So the point is, it, is that it's ubiquitous and that we have to start thinking in terms of a system rather than an individual device. And that that system vulnerability is what the bad guys, if you want to call them that, uh, have come to understand is that uh, you know, that's the way to attack something is to look at it from a systems view and attack points, not just the device itself, but the downstream systems as well. So when it comes to medical devices, often the advice given to healthcare entities is to segment you know, the networks that these medical devices run on. Is that sort of approach practical for OT or is OT more sort of uh, an infrastructure sort of thing within a healthcare setting where the approach might have to take a different direction? The answer is yes and yes. Segmenting it, uh, segmenting a network, regardless of what the technology is that's on it is certainly one way to help isolate risks to a particular network or device or or uh, other technology, HVAC systems and so forth. So yeah, that's that's probably the first and upfront way that folks have been using is to to reduce risk is to isolate on the network. It's a pretty much a, a square one approach, but there are other technologies, things like being able to manage the devices, knowing the devices that are on your network. Uh, whether they be healthcare devices or OIT type devices, but having being able to inventory them, know what level of software they're upgraded to, being able to patch them as quickly as possible, uh, being able to control their configuration, or putting an additional piece of software in front of them that protects them from attacks that might be happening from the outside. So, yep, segmenting is definitely a part of it. Uh, protecting OIT really isn't that different than the challenge that we've had all along with IT technology. The only thing that's different is the, the healthcare and the safety part of it. And so, you know, there are some things that are unique from, from, a, from a healthcare perspective uh, that make it a little more challenging, but a lot of the same concepts are there. Bill, when it comes to healthcare sector entities that are using medical devices, you know, we were talking about the segment segmentation. Are there other steps that you think that entities sometimes either neglect or they overlook or they sort of underestimate how important these steps could be in terms of better protecting these medical devices from compromise or incidents that could harm patients? I guess I would answer that question maybe in a slightly different way. I think the challenge is not that people aren't uh, you know, doing what they can. It really is a matter of resources. And resources are two things, money, of course, what level of investment can healthcare providers or those in healthcare make? Security is notoriously an expensive proposition, no matter what business you're in, it costs a lot. Um, and so part of it is investment. Second is people. There just aren't enough people on the planet that know enough about operational and IT and or healthcare security. And so I really think those are the big challenges that they have. There are tools available now. There are processes available. None of them are flawless, but I don't think the issue is a matter of being neglected. I think it's a matter of resources, having people that can stay on top of it and having the investment to buy the tools and the technology and the people that are necessary to really cover such a broad base of, of risks. So Bill, we talked a lot about legacy devices. Are there top steps that you think that medical device makers today in the development of their new products, that these steps that they should be taking that would make their products more secure and safer 
even when these products do become legacy devices? Yeah, there's a, there's a really basic idea from a manufacturing standpoint, and that is to build security in from the very beginning, make it part of the entire life cycle of the product. From the moment it's conceived, security has to be a business requirement right up front to say, not only does it have to do these healthcare functions, but it also has to be secure in doing all of those things. And so there have got to be stops all along the way from the moment it's conceived to its initial development, till it's testing, till it's going out of the market, till when it's on the market and how is it maintained and, and kept secure, till when that device is retired, how do you do that securely as well? And you know that really is the bottom line, is integrating security into the entire life cycle of any product. And that will, if that approach is taken, over time, they won't become a dangerous legacy device. They will have built in the capabilities needed that people can leverage to improve security as time goes on with those devices. And finally, Bill, going back to the university's new medical device cybersecurity center, what would you like university students to know about the potential in pursuing professional careers in cybersecurity, especially as it relates to medical devices? The sky's the limit, literally. I can't think of many other industries and or topics where there's more of a demand for folks to come out of college uh, knowing something about device security. Biomechanical engineering is probably the bigger topic here, but security within that, again, is a pretty rare skill. There are lots and lots of jobs out there. There are really terrific paying jobs. These skills are unique. Um, this problem is not going to go away. The demand is not going to go away. And I think there are a, a lot of uh, university folks and universities now that are building good security programs around IT security and even into biomedical engineering. But to really have the understanding both of the biomedical engineering and the security and the technology is something that will make you truly unique. And uh, you know, really, there, there will be a great job available for you for a long time with those types of skills. So it, it really is an, an amazingly open market. And just being able to, uh, to go to a potential employer and tell them that you have these skills, I think, is almost an automatic uh, shoe-in for you. Well, thank you so much, Bill. I've been speaking to Bill Arts by Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.